Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I'll admit it right up front. You're about to hear a strange sermon. I've never given a talk on this. I've never heard one. And so I'll I'll admit to you, it's peculiar. But I know this. I know God gave it to me. And it's important. In fact, it might be one of the most important messages you've ever heard in your life. Our series is called Great Gifts, Strange Rapping. And it's perhaps, I don't know, maybe an autobiographical series. I've just learned in life that you can't always judge circumstances well. I mean, I've watched in my life how that circumstances don't always produce the outcome that it looks like they're going to produce. A few weeks ago, I read an interesting editorial piece in CNBC by psychologist Michael Gervais. He tells about Bonnie Ware, who for eight years was an in-home caregiver. And she looked after people who were dying. Her clients knew they were dying. They knew they were probably in the last three to 12 weeks of their life. And time and time again, Bonnie heard them talk about their regrets, the regrets they had about their life. And she ultimately wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Now, I gotta tell you, a lot of times when I'm flying or something, I'll see these books in the airport uh, stores, bookstores, And if I had seen that title, I would have had to have bought that book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Well, the number one answer, Michael Gervais wrote this in his article the other day, her her number one uh, regret that people told her about was people said, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. And I have to tell you that in 47 years of pastoring, that mirrors my experience. Because I've talked to many people who got to the end of their life and they recognized that they never really fully lived their own life. There were so many pressures placed on them by the culture, by society, by family, that after a while, they didn't know who they were anymore. They were like the chameleon, their chameleon that adapts the color on which he is. I've told you many times through the years that I, when I was 14 years old, visited my dying grandfather with my dad. My dad, who was the oldest of nine kids, I've heard my grandfather introduce him. My grandfather was still in his teens when my dad was born. And as we would go around the streets of Burnett, Texas, where my family is from, I heard my grandfather introduce my dad. This is my son, Winford. We grew up together. And you can imagine how close they were. But as we walked into my grandfather's hospital room as he lay dying, he reached out and took my dad's hand and he said, WM, I've just now learned how to live and now it's time to die. Taking all that into account, there are two realities that need to grab our attention. Well, let me just back up and say this again. There are two realities that need to grab the attention of all of us busy people. You know, You probably attend New Spring because you are a high energy person. If you were not a high energy person, you might look for a different kind of church. 
but you know this is a high-intensity, high-energy kind of church. And you're here because you sync up with that. And it is great to be busy, high-capacity people. But all of us who are busy, high-capacity people, there are two realities that we need to grasp at the beginning of this message. And here is the first one, and I think I've already referred to it, but, but hear me out. This world system and the people in it will shape our lives for us if we don't do something to stop it. It will happen. And we'll come to the end of our lives only to realize that we didn't live our life. We live somebody else's life. We wound up playing a role. We wound up saying a script that others wrote for us. We'll get told what to think, what to buy, where to live, how we should look, who the right people are. Most of all, we will get given the standard of measuring success or failure by others. And I think if we were just to take a few moments and think about how pervasive this is in our culture, a lot of us would have to admit that our standard of success that pressures us was not written by us. It was given to us by, sometimes given to us before we got to be six years old by people in our lives. So that's the first reality. We, we need to understand that we will get told how to live and who to be. Well, that's the bigger one. We'll get told who to be if we don't stop it. And the second one is that it is easy to live on autopilot or cruise control. And again, you say, well, Mark, I'm a God follower. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, yes, I'm talking to us too. Because it is so easy to just live day after day week after week, month after month, year after year, and just live on autopilot. It's like in the old days, farmers, in order to get their horse or mule to plow, would dangle a carrot in front of them just far enough that the horse or mule could never get to the carrot to keep the horse or mule to plow. And that's how so many of us live. Day turns into day, month to month, year to year, birthdays fly by. And in time, we really can't separate the years in our memory. I mean, if you're 20 years old, you may not know what I'm talking about. But if you're 30 or 40, you do know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you had to sit down and recreate a diary of what happened in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, could you remember the year that those events happened? I mean, if we had to recreate that diary and place events on the right year, we'd just give up and we say what all of us say. Well, it happened a while back. It happened a little while ago. And the reason why we do that is we're living on autopilot. Gervais in his article, and I want to quote from him now, he said, as a psychologist, this is something I see all the time with my patients. I always tell them that to boost my happiness and stop the clock on regret, I work on developing an appreciation for time. He goes on, in the daily grind, it's easy to fall out of alignment with what is most important. By living with an awareness of our own mortality, it fundamentally changes what we value and how we choose, our, how we choose to use our time. It unmasks the frivolous, empty pursuits our culture often validates. Does the response to your social media post really matter? Does it matter what car you drive? Does it matter that a friend group boxes you out of their social circle? If they let you in, do you really want to spend your precious time with them? And I love this quote. He said, fully embracing the fact that we are not going to live forever brings our values into sharp focus. 
Well, I really appreciate Dr. Gervais' article, and as much as I do, you and I are going to a much higher source. We're going to God's word to look at a very odd verse. I told you at the beginning, this is an odd sermon, so it just makes sense that our text would be a very odd scripture. In fact, if you want to follow along with me, we're going to be in the 118th Psalm today. So if you have a copy of your Bible with you and you want to just read along with me, it's, it's going to be important today. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. Now, let me just give you this real odd statement that we're sort of surprised to see in the Bible. And it's written by David as he's writing this Psalm. He says in verse 17, I will not die, but live. I will not die, but live. That's a very strange statement, unless you've been there. You know, there's a club here today. Now, we, we, don't, we don't have any kind of insignia or anything, but there's a club here today. And you may be in the club, and you may not have even known that you're in a club, but there's a club today. There are club members present. There are club members watching on television or online. And you've been initiated into this club. You might have never thought about it, but you're in a club. I know. I'm a member. And here's why you're in this club. Something happened to you a while back that put you in this club. Sometime back, you got a wake-up call. Something happened that was so shocking that it jolted you out of autopilot. Well, that's what happened to David. That's why he said in verse 17, I will not die, but live. It only makes sense when we understand that something made David think that he was going to die. We're not told what David's wake-up call was. I mean, I've researched this 118th Psalm. and We don't know exactly what it was, but just something shocked David out of autopilot. But then, after he thought he was going down, he, he got good news. And when he got the good news, he breathed out a sigh of relief and the Holy Spirit allowed him to put it in the Bible when he said, I will not die, but live. As I said, some of us are in that club. You thought you were going down. I don't, I don't, and, and not all death is physical death. It could have been the death of a relationship, could have been the death of a career, could have been all kinds of death, but you thought you were going down. And then you got good news. It may have been something you shouted, maybe something you whispered in your own soul, but you said, I'm not going to die, I'm going to live. You went down to the valley of death and you came out saying, I will not die, but I will live. And by the grace of God, the death, whatever you feared, didn't happen. Could have been when the person you love got it. You've been hoping he would get it. You didn't think he was going to get it. Maybe the relationship was not going to work, but he finally got it. Maybe it was when you rang the bell in the cancer center, or when you heard that your kid was safe, or you heard that your job was going to still be there, or your doctor called with good news, but you said it. You said, I will not die, but live. Now, when you read this psalm, it's so clear that David plans to live differently. This wake-up call was a shake-up call. And we'll get into all the different things that he plans to do in his life from now on. But let's look at the title of today's message. I don't think I've given it to you yet. Our series is called Great Gifts, Strange Rapping. You can't judge outcomes by circumstances. Here is the title of today's message. The Secret of Living Wrapped in a Wake-Up Call. Now, if you've not been there, you don't know what that means, but some of you do know what that means. 
because you've had one of those wake-up calls and you were on autopilot, but you learned to live a whole different kind of way. And what you discovered was that cataclysmic wake-up call actually turned out to give you the secret to life. And it kind of burned the ropes off of you, didn't it? And you suddenly figured out, you know what? I don't have to please everybody. I've had that wake-up call. Well, as I said, those of us in the club, we know what this is about. The rest of you will get a wake-up call someday. But better yet, if you haven't had a wake-up call yet, you can join the club anyway. Let's just call it the Christmas special. Here's the thing. The second best bargain is learning from your own wake-up call. The best bargain, the Christmas special, is learning from somebody else's wake-up call. Because it could be that you can learn the lessons that a wake-up call would produce without being shaken so badly that you were afraid like David that you were going to go down. So let's focus on three thoughts, and then I started to say we'll go home, but some of you are going out to eat, so let's just say three thoughts here, and then we'll, we'll be through. Let's start with the Christmas special. We're going to go through Psalm 118, and we're going to see what David learned in his wake-up call. The first thing he learned is the importance of gratitude. See, here's the thing. When we live on autopilot, we're not grateful. We, we, we don't wake up in the morning and say, thank you, God, for another day. We, we don't tend to wake up thankful for what, we, we tend to wake up thinking about all the stuff we got to do that day and who we, don't, who we have to see but don't want to see and how difficult our job is and, and all the pressures that are on us. When we have life on autopilot, gratitude is not part of the equation. But I want you to notice what David said. Now, we're going to look at the first verse and the last verse of Psalm 118. You know, when you say something at the beginning of your conversation and you say something at the end of your conversation, it's pretty revealing as to what you want to say. So here we go. This is verse one. Oh, thank the Lord for he's so good. His loving kindness is forever. So what's he saying? I'm going to be thanking God. Okay, look at the last verse. Verse 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's so good, for his loving kindness is forever. I mean, David's going to tell us about his whole different life, but it's going to start and it's going to end with gratitude. When we live life on autopilot, we tend to, and I thought about this verb a lot before I wrote it, we tend to absorb God's blessings of life. That's just a fact. That's what creates entitlement in our culture today. We, 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 we absorb God's blessings as though we deserve them. But when we get that wake-up call, suddenly we begin to notice how good God has been to us all this time. Now, the second thing that David learns, we've kind of already talked about it, but it's here in the text, and I want you to see it. David learned that the pressures people have put on him to conform, the threats of what could happen to him if he didn't cave to their demands, melted away. In verse 5, he says, in my distress, that's his wake-up call, in my distress, distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me, oh, hello, set me free. Free from what, David? Now watch this. The Lord is for me. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? There are some of us here on this campus today, we are terrified. We feel like we have to please everybody. And if people aren't pleased with us, then maybe they're going to shut us out. Maybe they won't be there for us. And the problem is we are in bondage to what people think of us. It's a horrible place to live. 
And David said, I mean, again, I don't know what his wake-up call was. I don't know what, what he was scared of. He just said, man, when I went through that fire, I came out saying to myself, what can mere people do to me? And God set me free when I went through that difficult time. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way, and I love this first line. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. Why is it dangerous? Oh, you know the answer to this. It's dangerous because we'll start doing stuff that is not in our own, our own best interest. If, if we start fearing what people can do to us, it isn't long before, like I said at the beginning, we're not living our lives, we're living their lives. Or their idea of what our life should be. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you, but if you trust the Lord, you are safe. When David came out of his wake-up call, he's saying, God, there's only one person I care about pleasing. I, I, I am here for an audience of one. What do you think about me? What do you think about how I look? What do you think about, how do you think about what I say? How do you think about what I need to be? David is like, I went through the fire and I came out free, set free. The ropes burned off and I'm not worried about what people think about me. Now let's read a little more of what David had to say because I want to make sure we get this. He said, it is better in verse eight to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Now, let me make sure I explain this. David, he's not saying I don't trust people anymore. He's just saying, I'm not looking for people to be the source of my well-being. Now, I want you to look at the next verse because it's very important because David's gonna say something very similar, but it's gonna have a very powerful nuance. Verse nine, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in, up to this point, it's the same words that we saw in the last verse. But notice he doesn't say people this time. He says princes. What are you talking about, David? Oh, you know. He's talking about the powerful people. See, a lot of us, we've been told we have to have powerful people in our lives. And here's what we, we get told, especially we're beginning our career or something. We'll get told, Ben, you got to have this person in your life. This person can make or break you. Guys, I want you to understand, nobody can make or break you. Nobody has the power, nobody has the influence, nobody's got the money to make you. Only God can make you. And I'll tell you what, everybody else can want to break you, but if God chooses to make you, nobody can stop what God wants to do in your life. Man, I'm sure David, when he was a young king, I mean, he came from the shepherd fold, and then after that, he was a military guy, and here he is, a senior administrator in a country, and I'm sure a lot of people said to him, David, let me just tell you, buddy, you got to have these people in your life, and I know you don't like them, and they don't like you, but they're powerful, and they can make or break you, and David said, when I came out of the fire, I found out I don't need powerful people, I just need God on my side. The third thing he learned and here's the weird thing about this. We say this all the time, but I wonder if we really get it. He learned that every single day is a gift from God. There's a verse that you've heard, I'm sure. And it's in this chapter, but I wonder if we understand that David gave us this verse after he had a wake-up call. And here's the verse. And many of you know it. Some of you have it on artwork in your house, or you have it in jewelry that you wear around your neck. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, what do I draw from that? I think before his wake-up call, David didn't know that. 
I think he said, this is Tuesday. This is Friday. But I'll tell you, when he came out of that wake-up call, he said, I am going to look at every day as a gift from God. Some of you know that. You were diagnosed with cancer and you didn't know what was going to happen, but now you're cancer-free. You rang that bell in the cancer center, and you walked out, and you said, I'm not going to treat the rest of my life the way I treated the first part of my life. Every day is a gift from God. And see, that's the secret to living. If you recognize that every day is God's gift, you don't have to worry about yesterday because you can put that under the blood of Jesus. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because you know the one who holds tomorrow. You can say today is a gift from God. Notice that David didn't say it was a perfect day because there's no such thing as a perfect day. He said it's just the one that the Lord has made. Now, New Spring and all of you watching online on television, please hear me because the absence of what we're going to see now is pandemic in our nation. The emotional health of our nation is extraordinarily fragile for the fact and the reason that people don't get what we're about to see. David said, this is a day that the Lord has made. I'm going to find a way to rejoice and be happy in it. Now, the problem that we have in our culture today is that we can have 95% of our day go right and 5% of our day go wrong, and we can focus on that. And we can let that 5% that goes wrong cloud our entire day. Now, if you want to find a reason to be unhappy, you can find it. You know, all you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do is just open up social media feed. I mean, you, you can find a reason to be unhappy if you want to. And the Lord knows I meet a lot of people that just, man, if I talk to them and say, how are you doing? Whoo, man, they just start telling me about the condition of the nation and all these, and, and things that are wrong. I get it. But David just said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to find a way to be happy today. I'm going to find a way to rejoice because even though people are doing bad junk, God is doing great stuff. Yeah. Well, I wanted you to get acquainted with Psalm 118 because there's more stuff there. But I need to move on very quickly to the last two lessons that we pick up in today's message. Number two, it is important when you get a wake-up call to really learn the lessons. Not everyone who gets a wake-up call learns. In 47 years of pastoring, I've seen people get a wake-up call, and for a few minutes they would change. But as soon as the pressure lets up, they go right back to living the kind of life they used to live. Heard a story when I was a young preacher about a church that was doing an offering like we're doing with Project Generosity. And there was a guy in the church, very, very wealthy millionaire who thought he was going to die. He never had time for God, never came to church before. But when he was sick and thought he was dying, came to church all the time. And they had this offering in, in, the, in that particular church. They made pledges or promises. And this guy said he would give $100,000 to the offering. And then he got well. And he just kind of disappeared. Now, we would never do this, but I guess in that church, the pastor went to him and said, hey, what about this pledge you made? He said, what pledge? He said, well, you know, you promised to give $100,000 to this offering. He said, I did? He said, well, that just goes to show you how sick I really was. <laughs> Jesus told a story about this, or there was a story in Jesus' life about this. There were 10 guys who had leprosy. Leprosy separated people from 
the culture. They were considered not only sick, but unclean. They couldn't be with their families. They couldn't work on their jobs. They had to live in leper colonies. And these 10 guys, these 10 lepers saw Jesus coming and they started crying out with a loud voice to be healed and Jesus healed them. If you know your Bible, you know the rest of the story. Nine of those guys, I mean, they had families to see, they had jobs to go back to. They just made a beeline. But the Bible tells us the story about one of these guys. And what I love about this, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke where the writer says that when he came back, he came back with a loud voice. All of them had a loud voice when they were asking to be healed. But when this guy came back to thank Jesus, his volume was still turned up. Hey, that's a good question. Is our volume the same when we thank God for answering prayer as it was when we were crying out for help when we were desperate? Hmm, that's an interesting question, isn't it? But there are a lot of people who go through a wake-up call, and for a little while, they kind of learn the secret of living, but when relief comes, they shrink right back to living the kind of lives they did before. Not everybody learns. I have a new take on an old Bible story, and I think, to be honest with you, I think I may have preached it wrong through the years. The Bible story in the Gospel of John chapter 11 is about Jesus visiting a home probably a week or so before his crucifixion. And there are two sisters who live there, Mary and Martha. And their brother Lazarus had died. He was buried in the grave. He was put entombed at least. And Jesus came along and raised him back to life. And now Jesus is there. It's the evening. Jesus and his posse are there. And it's dinner time. And Martha, if you know the story, Martha's in there rattling around pots and pans trying to get on a big dinner for all these men. And they'll eat a ton. And after a while, with Jesus teaching in the living room and everybody listening to him, Martha storms in there and really gets right in Jesus' face. And she said, Lord, speak to my sister Mary. Because see, Mary wasn't in the kitchen helping her. Mary was sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha was saying... Lord, speak to my sister. Make her get in here and help me. Now, through the years, here's how I think I preached it wrong. I always thought about two different personality types. You know, here's Martha. She's a get it done kind of person. Here's Mary. She's more contemplative. She's, she's just in there. Her, her personality is less. I don't know if that's right. I mean, here's the thing. If, that's, if that was Mary's personality, she, Martha would have said something different. She would have come in there and said, Jesus, my sister always does this to me. She leaves me in here to do the work. But she almost seems surprised that Mary is sitting there listening instead of being in the kitchen where she normally is. And what you're watching is you're watching two sisters who reacted very differently to what had just happened. Because you see, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and all Martha could think about at that moment is I gotta get dinner done. Mary's, Mary said, I've learned a whole new secret to living. You know, I don't care whether we have dinner tonight at eight o'clock, 11.30 or three o'clock in the morning. And the important thing is Jesus is in my living room and he's teaching and I wanna hear what he's got to say. It's possible that some of us will go through a wake up call and it won't change us. It's a good time to ask. I'm talking to all of us who have been through a wake-up call. Did I learn the lessons? Now, if you think I've came here to shame you or put you in guilt, don't think that. Because I look at some of the, I mean, I've had a wake-up call myself. I mean, 13 years ago, I thought I was dying. 
And I've, I've discovered that it's easy to drift away from those lessons that I've learned. So I, I want you to know it's okay to go back and remember. In, in the 40th Psalm, David said, he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. If God has delivered you from what you thought was going to take you down. I mean, here's the thing. How many of you have been in a slimy pit? Not literally, but you've been in a slimy pit. You were in a difficult situation and the Lord pulled you out of it and he set your feet on a firm foundation. Okay, suppose you forgot. Suppose you've drifted away. Suppose you've gone back on autopilot. Okay, I'm not here to shame you today. I'm just saying two things. Remember the fear you had and relive the relief. If you've ever been through a wake-up call, you can go back and relive the fear. You can remember what it was like when you didn't know if you're going to make it or your marriage is going to make it or if whether or not you were going to lose your job. Go back and put yourself mentally in that place and then relive the feeling that you had when you said, I will not die but live. And by the way, I want to say something because you could be here today and you say, Mark, I've been given a terminal diagnosis. I'm not going to be able to say, I will live and not die. If you know Jesus Christ, no matter what you're facing, you can say, I will not die, but live. Because the word of God says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That part of you that is you, it will never die. When you, when you die physically, you'll be in heaven. Somebody will have to tell you that you died. Like I've told you before, they'll say, you know, down there they're having your funeral and then they're going to go eat potato salad when it's all over. But the real you is going to keep living. Now this and I'm through. I'm through. The third thing, what is God up to with wake-up calls? Now remember, God doesn't bring pain into your life. That's part of being in a broken world. But he works in that pain. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, in all things, God works for good. Doesn't say all things are good. Some things are bad. It's just in all things, God works. So if you have a wake-up call and you think for some way that you might be going down, what's God up to? Here's the third lesson. Our main problem with living on autopilot is we are keeping Jesus in the waiting room while we live life. Wake-up calls have a way of causing us to notice that Jesus is there. Some of you are already there. You've been there. Some of you are there right now. All of us will be there someday. But it's really important that when you get a wake-up call from heaven that you answer the phone. Whatever you do, you don't want to keep Jesus in the waiting room while you live your life. Because the real secret of living is when Jesus becomes your Lord. That's when you really begin to live. We hear a lot about Hamas today with what's happened the last eight weeks. I was reading a story of a young man named Musab Hassan Yusuf. He was born in Ramallah in the West Bank, and his father 
was one of the founding members of Hamas. And as you can imagine, Mossad was raised to hate Jews, to hate Christians. He was raised by terrorists who told him it's a good thing to be a suicide bomber, to murder innocent people and kill civilians. <laughs> and as the case but rarely gets told, Hamas didn't treat their own people very well. When he was a boy, he did something that got him in trouble and his punishment, Hamas leaders beat him with a rod that had electric cables in it. He was beaten and shocked with electricity over and over again. So his childhood was a nightmare. Well, as he grew up, eventually he became a member of Hamas and like his dad, he worked his way up the ranks. Somehow he, he got caught by IDF and, and um, and to make a long story short, as he began to interact with the people who had arrested him, he discovered that they were not the monsters that he thought they were. And in time, he actually began to work for the IDF. And he stopped a lot of attacks and saved thousands of lives. But even though he did, there was still something missing in his heart. To hear him say it, he said there was a, there was a hole. He knew that something needed to fill the hole in his heart. So, strangely enough, he was in Jerusalem, and he needed to get a, a taxi. And the taxi driver turned out to be a British citizen who was a Christian, and this British citizen invited him to a Bible study. And he said his English wasn't very good, so he really didn't know what he was being invited to. But he went ahead and went. And he went to that Bible study and they gave him a Bible in Arabic. And I love this story because I think about the thousands of Bibles in Arabic that you put in that part of the world. It was the first Bible he had ever had. When he got home, he opened the Bible and he started to read. And he came to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he read these words, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he put it this way. He said, Jesus Christ was telling me that my enemy was not human. It was not a person. And sometime after that, he invited Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And here's what this son of one of the founders of Hamas who accepted Christ said. Jesus Christ is the only one who gets the credit because I know without his wisdom, without his love, without his forgiveness, I wouldn't figure this out on my own. What happened in my life is a process, and God is patient. He's still patient. He doesn't force himself on anybody. And I've given you this story to give you one sentence that he said. When God calls, you need to answer. The secret to living wrapped in a wake-up call. Would you bow your head with me, please? <clears throat> If you're a Christ follower here today and your life is on autopilot, you don't have to have a wake-up call. You can, you can just hear the message of Jesus today calling you to live a different way. He's not calling you to feel guilty about it. He's calling us to get it. You know, one thing I've learned in the scriptures is that God is not eager to punish people. He's just, he just wants us to get it. Do you recognize he's never told us to pay for our sins? He just wants us to get it and to turn to him. 
And if you're here today or watching online or watching on television or North Auditorium, and you say, Mark, I'm not really sure I have a relationship with Jesus. I've been part of a religion maybe, or maybe I'm agnostic, I don't know. Just, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. And you, you might say, well, Mark, <clears throat> is, is this the church that you're asking me to join in order to have a relationship with Jesus? We'd love to have you here at New Spring, but joining New Spring wouldn't give you a relationship with Jesus. That's got to be something you do directly with Jesus. You don't need to go through a preacher. <laughs> you don't need to join a religion. You just need to go straight to Jesus. Because, see, he died for you. He died on the cross to pay for all your sins. And then three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power. And today, he's in heaven. And you can go directly to him by prayer. And you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And I need you. I need you in my life. And it's as simple as that, because that's how a gift works. You can't earn a gift. If you try to earn it, it's not a gift anymore. A gift is a gift. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace that you are saved and not of yourselves. It is the G-I-F-T, gift of God. I've heard people talk about cheap grace. Listen, if you got cheap grace, you paid too much for it because grace is free. And if you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you can do it right now. So wherever you are, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These are not magic words, but these are words that if you mean in your heart, God will listen to your words. And you'll hear your prayer. Here we go. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Give me the power to live a different kind of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me 30 more seconds. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. And if you're watching online or on television, this gift has a New Spring Bible, a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that's short, it's an easy read, that will answer a lot of questions. Follow the steps. Just text the word prayed to 97,000. Follow the steps and we'll mail it to you. But if you're on campus today, you don't have to wait. Just text prayed to 97,000. Go out to any info center. You'll recognize it by the blue and white coloration. And just say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you or stalk you or ask for your routing number. They just want to give this to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hearing the strangest sermon I've ever preached. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.